All right. I know most of the people in this room, and uh, but there's a lot of you that I don't know. And if I don't know you and you don't know me, my name is Courtney Lewis, and uh, I spent 12 years of my life here at Fairhaven. And uh, God called us four years ago to go start a church in Chicago, which is where I'm from. And we were able to do that. And God has blessed. And now I get to come back and preach. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 15, if you would. Luke chapter 15. Going to preach on the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15. And it's a message that I hope can be applied to those that are uh, saved and lost. If you're here and you're not a child of God, then you're a son, or I'm sorry, you are a person that God wants to claim as his own. And if you're here and you're uh, a Christian, you are a son or a daughter that God wants to come back. And so the prodigal son, and as you're turning to Luke chapter 15, uh, if you read the chapter later, you'll see that it gives us three parables of Christ. In verse number four, we read about the lost sheep. In verse number eight, we read about the lost coin. And in verse 11, we read about the lost son or the prodigal son. And these three parables were spoken to a, a large group of people, a, a multitude of people, as Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem to be crucified for our sins. And Jesus gave these three parables to justify his actions in receiving sinners. Jesus took a lot of flack. A lot of pressure was, was on him, against him, because he received sinners. There were a lot of people that didn't like the fact that he received sinners. And so he gave these parables to show that it was proper and right for him to receive sinners. He was criticized by the Pharisees because Jesus ate with the sinners and spent time with the sinners. Look at verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying... So he spoke these parables to justify his actions in receiving sinners. Now, please understand, Jesus did not meet with sinners to condone their sinful actions or to participate with them. He met with sinners in an effort to save them from their sin and hell. And God's willingness to do that is all over the Bible. But nowhere is it more beautifully seen than in the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. This parable has been called the prince of parables. Charles Dickens called it the finest short story ever written. A man by the name of Lockyer said that this parable of the prodigal son has done more to win the prodigals and down and outs of human society than any other part of the Bible. Now, I learned that the definition of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And sometimes Jesus spoke through parables. And the reason he would speak through parables was so that he could hide the truth from people who really didn't want it anyhow. And so he could conceal the truth 
and it would be available for those who were hungry for it. This parable is a parable of repentance and turning to God. Let me say that again. This parable is a parable of repentance and turning to God. The word prodigal means someone who breaks away to spend lavishly. In this parable, a certain man had two sons. And the younger son demanded his portion of the inheritance. He took it and he left home. And in a short time, the Bible says he spent that inheritance on what the Bible calls riotous living. In Chicago, there's a lot of riotous living. You, it's everywhere, but man, it's so blatant in the city where I minister. And uh, I, I was at, at the place where we have church really late last night, uh, just just making sure everything was straight and in order for, for me to come here. And uh, some of our most faithful people live 45 minutes, an hour away. And so I was there getting things ready. And I was driving home, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. And I drove through an intersection, and you would have thought it was 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. The streets were flooded. People were out. Police cars, turning corners, screeching tires. What, what, what was all going on? I'll tell you what was going on. Riotous living. That's what this man wanted to spend his money on. His poverty... Plus a famine, though, put him in dire straits. A bad circumstance in a bad way. And all of that convinced him to say, you know what? Maybe I ought to go home. And he returned home. And when he got home, his father made a huge celebration. Look at verse number 32. The Bible says, It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. If you're here today and you're like this lost son, I've got news for you. You can be found. If you're saved, you can get back to God and get back right with God. If you're not saved, you can have him as your father, your heavenly father today. Let's ask God to bless the message. Heavenly Father, give me your power and your strength. Lord, this is a wonderful parable. So much truth. Lord, I need this truth, and we all need this truth, and especially the lost need this truth. So, Lord, make it plain to us and give me the words that you once said. Give me your power, Lord, to to preach your word, and may good things be accomplished, because we came out today to hear from you. Speak now, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, I want you to see the demand of the parable. The the prodigal, rather. The demand of the prodigal. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Give me. He says, you know that inheritance that you're going to owe me? I want it right now. So the story begins with this sorry demand for the inheritance. The demand was wrong for lots of reasons. Do you smell the pride there when he says, give me my inheritance? He was prideful. He was wrong because he viewed that money as a right and not a favor. And people today boastfully claim, I've got my rights. That's kind of the theme of today. I've got my rights. I've got my rights. But notice that he was the younger son. The younger son. 
And it was the older brother that had first dibs on the inheritance. According to Jewish law, when there were two sons, the oldest son, the eldest son, received two parts. And the younger son, one part. No matter how many boys were in the family, the oldest son got two parts first. The younger son was full of pride. And pride always gets us into trouble. It always does. The Bible warns us in Proverbs 11:2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. The prodigal son was going to learn this the hard way. The prodigal had pride. Listen to me, if you're here and you're not born again, don't let pride send you to hell. It's not worth it. Not only was he prideful, but he was selfish. The prodigal didn't want that money to, to, to help others. He wasn't looking for a charity to donate the money to. The prodigal wanted that money for self. Those who live to promote self always end up miserable. Now, if you know the Bible, you know that this son ended up miserable. And when you live to please self, you will be like him. You're going to end up miserable. There's nothing more worthless in life than to live for self. Look at Proverbs chapter 21, if you would. The prodigal wanted the money so that he could have an unholy fling with the pleasures of this world. Proverbs chapter 21 As we read this verse, I want you to think of the prodigal son. Proverbs 21, verse 17. The Bible says, he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. Isn't that what happens to the prodigal? He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. The Apostle Paul said that in the last days, the world would be characterized by people being lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Listen to me, if you're here and you're not saved, don't let being a lover of stuff send you to hell. He was also impatient. He was prideful. He was selfish. He was impatient. The Old Testament law did not obligate the inheritance to be given before the parents died. What would happen is the parents would die and then the inheritance would be passed on. But the younger son didn't want to wait for his parents to die. He wanted it right now. And that's the way of the flesh. Give me my money now. The flesh has no desire to wait. No tolerance for waiting. It wants fulfillment of pleasures now. So people don't wait for sex to get married. No, 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 no. They do it before they get married. People don't want to work to get wealth. They want to gamble so so that maybe they can get the money right now. Students don't have the patience to study hard and get good grades so they cheat, so they can have it now. The devil has all kinds of shortcuts, and they look good, but you can't afford them. No one can. About the only place people don't mind waiting is when it comes to spiritual things. People wait for that. The Bible says, though, in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
The prodigal was not patient. Now, I want you to know he got the money. He got his demand. He got what he was looking for. The Bible says in verse 12, and he divided unto them his living. Now, that father has been criticized since this story has been given. For why did the father give him the money? What for? He was too lenient. He was spoiling him. But there's a solemn truth taught here. And the truth is, sometimes God will give you what you're looking for. You'll get what you want, but you won't want what you get. Sometimes God will will give you what you want as a form of judgment. And that thing you thought was something you wanted will end up being your judgment. God sees you sometimes in your sin and just gives you over to it and, and lets that thing tear you up. I'm sure he thought, he gave it to me. Dad gave it to me. Woo! And it destroyed him. The demand of the prodigal. Number two, I want you to see the departure of the prodigal. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. He departed, okay, and wasted his substance with riotous living. The younger son didn't want to stay around home anymore. And until he got the money, he had no means to break free on his own. He was interested in riotous living, and he knew he couldn't live like that at home. So there was one option. Leave. He didn't want his father's restraint. He wanted his independence because he wanted to live a life of sin. And that pictures the unsaved person today. And it pictures the backslidden Christian today. Self-will. Proud. This person doesn't like fellowship with God. This person's got to be dragged to church or super gimmick to church. And like the son, you really want to depart from him and go off to the far country. Mankind doesn't like the restraint of the father. It's contrary to our flesh. With God around, you can't party like you want to. And so, we, as a society, we've done a number of things to eliminate God from our thinking. Such as evolution's taught in our school. Schools. Public schools. And, and, and it leaves God out of the equation. Prayer has been run out of the public schools. The Bible has been run out of the public school. I'm telling you, when I was in the public school, as a 13-year-old, I was a saved buzz kid, and, 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 and I started reading my Bible and taking it to school, and, and they looked at me like I was crazy when I was 13. That's what society's doing today. Well, I'm going to quit going to that church. They, they preach too hard. Or I'm going to go. I'm not going to let them run me out of that church. But when the preacher starts, I'm just going to turn them off. You don't like the restraint of the Heavenly Father. Maybe you avoid the preacher. You can't use your dirty language around the preacher. You've got to put your cigarette out around the preacher. So the solution is to just stay away from the preacher. If the prodigal was going to do his own thing, he couldn't stay with the father. He'd have to leave. And he headed for what the Bible calls the far country. Verse 13, the far country. Now that would be a place far away from the father. 
Today it means the place far away from God the Father. The far country today is that place where evil abounds. It's that place where you can go and gamble. It's that place where you can go and fornicate. It's that place of stealing, of drunkenness, of cursing, of abortion, of homosexuality, of the dance club, the bar, and a host of other evils. You say, no, it's just harmless entertainment. It's the far country. That's where the unsaved person is comfortable. And that's where the backslidden Christian is comfortable. The citizens of this far country are ungodly. And they're far away from God the Father. And this son didn't feel comfortable around the righteous. He'd have to put out that cigarette. Clean up his dirty language and act religious. The prodigal son of today in 2012 is the one who really wants to be in the far country. You're a prodigal. The demand, the departure, and then it gets sad. The destruction of the prodigal. Look at verse 13. Verse number 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And and what did he do when he got there? And there wasted his substance with riotous living. He had a wasteful lifestyle, first of all. The word wasteful here means to scatter abroad, to squander. He was extravagant in his spending. And what he was extravagant in, in spending his money on was sin. And notice something about sin. It always makes you squander and scatter your money. Because sin costs. It's expensive. Look at how much money people lose in gambling. Man, I was just at the gas station over here in Chesterton. And there was a man in front of me getting all of his tickets, paying his money. People have funds when it comes to doing wrong. But they get mad when you go to a Baptist church and they take up an offering and you go home and play the lottery tomorrow. Wasting your money on sin. The word substance means goods. The word riotous means unsaving. Or living without saving anything. That's today's society. In other words, everything the prodigal spent his money on was a waste. And it's always a waste to spend your money on evil. Let me suggest to you that living in a godly way after you get saved is the most economical way you'd ever lived. Makes you unfit for most of what this world has. Sinful living makes you poor. Most of the people trapped on the welfare rolls are there because of of sin and spending on sin. You see, they spend their money on booze and gambling and the like, and then they wonder why nothing's left to pay for the legitimate needs of life. You're a prodigal. Booze has put multitudes into poverty, and any dime spent on booze is wasted money. Wasted money. Tobacco's the same. You know, I looked at this, and it blew my mind. A chain smoker, somebody that just smokes one after another after another. Listen to me, prodigals. You spend enough in your lifetime on cigarettes to pay for two $300,000 houses. Two of them. Listen, people take jobs, second jobs, just to pay for their cigarette habits. 
Drugs are the same way. Countless millions are wasted. It'd blow your mind to know what Whitney Houston spent on drugs. Something like $56,000 a month over a 20-some year career. It's a waste. And what happened in her case and in your case, if this is you? Destruction. Destruction. If our country stressed holiness, we could reduce a lot of spending. <laughs> Man, our budget would be great if our country stressed holiness. The prodigal spent his money on wasteful living. He also had a wicked lifestyle. Look at verse number 30. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots. That other son was, was jealous when the son came back and said, He spent all your money and, and, and he spent it on prostitutes. He blew his money seemingly on wicked women. Harlotry is, is sex outside of marriage. Harlots are wicked women who solicit men to do evil deeds, and there's nothing acceptable to God about harlotry. Proverbs 29, if you would, if you have your Bible. Proverbs chapter 29. Harlots are expensive on the pocketbook, and they'll also destroy your health. Proverbs 29. He said, how do you know? The Bible says so. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 3, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. Illicit sex is expensive no matter who it's with. You pay. It results in many divorces and diseases. You don't even need a Bible to know what harlotry can do to your health. With all of the, the wicked diseases out there that don't promote health. Even folks that have been saved out of a vile lifestyle. Who, who are now walking with God. Whose sins are forgiven. Who have a home in heaven. Still many times pay for that former life in their physical health. Messing with harlots will destroy you. And it will also fit you for hell. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 9. Turn there. Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. This is referring to the strange woman, which is a foreign woman. It's any woman, men, that's not your woman, your wife. Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 18. The Bible says, But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Sex sin is a shortcut to hell fire. And the prodigal son spent his money fooling with harlots. The demand of the prodigal, the departure of the prodigal, and then we've looked at the destruction of the prodigal. Next, I want you to see the destitution. Notice it goes downhill. The destitution. Destruction leads to destitution. Sin is a very hard taskmaster. It left the younger son, first of all, empty. Look at verse number 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. Get this, I have it underlined. And he began to be in want. He began to be in want. Want there is a word that carries the idea of falling behind in payments. When you don't have enough money to pay your bills and you fall behind, it's bad. This man was falling behind. He was in want. But he wasn't just in want monetarily. 
He was in what? In his heart and in his character. Sin leaves you empty. It always leaves you empty. It left him endangered also. Look at verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Not just a famine, but a mighty famine. And notice the famine came at the, at the exact time that he had spent all his money. Notice this. It's as though he's being set up. And in actuality, he's being wooed to go back to his father. But at the precise moment when he had spent all his money, bam, a great mighty famine came. Notice that the famine came in the land that he thought was perfect and inviting, where the grass was greener. That's what the devil says to you. That's how he lies to In actuality, the grass was greener back at the father's house where he needed to go. He's like Jonah in the ship when this famine comes. The only way to stop that, 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 that ship from, from tossing and, 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 and turning was to throw Jonah out. This young man needed to repent. God brought a famine to bring him back home. When running out of money didn't work, a famine came. Something serious. Listen to me, prodigal. Save prodigal away from God. On your way to heaven, but, 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 but away from God. And lost prodigal, not saved yet, on your way to hell. Listen to me, prodigal. Sometimes God will send a famine in your life. And the purpose of that famine isn't so that you can get mad at God and hate God. The purpose of the famine is to drive you back to the Father and to make you think seriously about your life. The sin also left him enslaved. Look at verse number 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He was joined to a citizen. The word joined means glued to something. Cemented to something. He became in bondage to that citizen. He became a slave to whoever that citizen was. The the, the young man started out using the world as his slave. And he ended by the world using him as a slave. When you yield to sin, it becomes your master. And before you get saved, your master is sin. The world is filled with slaves to sin. So why, why, you want to know why I drink, people say, if they're honest? Because my master told me to go drink. That's what they'd say if they were honest. The same is true with drugs and, and gambling. All of those are illustrations of being joined. Being in slavery. If you don't repent, if you don't turn, you're going to stay glued to that sin. You're going to stay joined to that sin and it'll drag you to hell if you're not saved. Now, you've got you've to love the, the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ as he tells this parable. Because to understand the awfulness of this son's slavery, Jesus borrows an animal that the Jewish mind could identify. He talks about swine. He was joined to this citizen and had to feed swine. Now, that doesn't do a whole lot for me because I like swine. I'm not saying I have a pig at home that I'm raising, you know, in my basement there in Chicago, but I love swine. I love pig. I love sausage. I love ribs. I love pork chops. 
I love smothered pork chops. I love bacon. I love swine. But, but listen, when Jesus just turned this parable and said, and you want to know how the son ended up feeding pigs? You got to understand that in this time period, to the Jew, hog business was, a, was about as low as you could go. Because the Old Testament forbid the eating of hogs. And, 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 and when Jesus mentioned the word swine, he knew those men would be disgusted by the thought of a pig. What was Jesus doing? He was trying to say that sin brings you low. It brings you low! All the way to the swine pen. He failed to repent at the famine. So God brought him lower. Man, he ran out of money. God brought him down. He, 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 he had to, he, 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 the famine came. Even lower. And then the pigs died. Lower. What does God have to do to you? To get a hold of your attention. He failed to repent. Failure to repent brings you lower. Sin snowballs in size. Understand that. You know what I mean? Rolls along, gets bigger and bigger. That's what sin does. Sin also left him emaciated. Look at verse number 16. Emaciated. You know what that means? Scrawny. Night of starving. Verse 16. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself... He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, <clears throat> and I perish with hunger. I perish with hunger. Because of his wasteful, wicked lifestyle, he was starving to death. The hungrier he got, the less choosy he was about his meal. And you know what that's like. Man, when you're really hungry, that donut that's been in the refrigerator for eight days starts looking good, doesn't it? Heat that thing up, get some milk, and, and go with it. All right? He got less choosy. And he started looking at the, the husk that the pigs ate. And they started looking good. And he wished he could have some. His craving hit rock bottom. And he knew that he was going to die if his, if, if his diet didn't improve. It was food or fatality. Now, the problem with this young man is our problem today many times. We can recognize when we are physically hungry. We have a hard time recognizing when we're spiritually hungry. And if you're here today and you're without Christ, you may not know it, but you're starving spiritually. His spiritual life had been famishing. Sin also left him excluded. Look at verse 16. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. It left him excluded. The prodigal was forsaken by others. Notice something. When you sin, those people that you thought were your friends, in the end, when you're brought down to the pig pen, those friends will forsake you. In his need, nobody gave to him. No charity took pity on him. When he had money, he had all kinds of friends. But when his money ran out, he didn't have many friends. That's the way sin works. Sin will smile broadly at you when you've got something to give. But when you run out of something to give, sin starts to frown at you. Now listen. 
when money's in your pocket, the bartender's your best friend. He's smiling at you. He's polite to you. But when you run out of money and you're drunk, that same bartender will throw you out on your face. You might as well expect heat from an iceberg than help from sinners when you hit rock bottom. Only Christ can help the sinner. And he never forsakes those that take him as Savior. Hebrews 13.5 says, He had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The demand, the departure, the destruction, the destitution. Then I want you to see the deliberations of the prodigal. The time came when he started to think about the mess that he had gotten himself into. If you're here today and you're saved and you've gotten yourself into a mess, you need to start deliberating. You need to start thinking. If you're here and you're lost and you're on your way to hell, you need to start thinking. Now, the devil doesn't want you to start thinking. Because the devil knows that if you start thinking, if you're saved, you might get right with God. He doesn't want you thinking if you're lost. Because the devil knows you might turn from your sin to Christ. But I want you to think. And God wants you to think. God said in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together. What does that mean? It means let's deliberate. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The prodigal did some thinking about his situation. Now, it would have been better for him if he had done this thinking a lot earlier. But better late than than never. He started to think. And the Bible says in verse 17, he came to himself. He came to himself. Boy, you know what some of God's people need to do? I'm telling you, it'll change your life if you're saved and you've not gotten to this point. You need to come to yourself. If you're here and you're lost and you're away from Christ... Listen, that's why the preaching is at this church, so that you can come to yourself. Now, the fact that he had to come to himself meant that he was away from himself. It means that he was outside of his mind. It was an insanity. It was a a madness. And living in sin is a madness. It is. Who commits suicide? Come on now. Who commits suicide? People whose lives are riddled with sin. That they refuse to deal with. Those are the people that are killing themselves. It's a madness. Homosexuals want us to consider their wicked, filthy, wretched, perverted lifestyle as something that's sane. It's not sane. It's a madness. And those that, that again, that are given over to sin are killing themselves. He came to himself. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. The servants are at home pigging out. And I'm sitting here on starve mode. What's wrong with that picture? He started thinking about the father's house and the good conditions there. And they had bread enough to spare. Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. If you want real bread, if you want something that really satisfies, get around the people of God. There's bread enough here to spare, and no one perishes when they partake of the bread of life. Now the prodigal thought hard, and he came to one conclusion. 
One conclusion. I'm just about finished. One conclusion. Repent. Repent. Go back to the Father. Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my Father. I love the language there. I will arise. I'm going to get up. And when I get up, I'm going back to where I'm supposed to be. I will arise and go to my Father. And we'll, many times people get up and they go further away from the Father. I'm going to go to my Father. And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his Father. You just read one of the most beautiful illustrations of repentance in the Bible, I believe. He was honest. He said, I have sinned. He didn't give excuses. He called his sin what it was. Sin. Don't try to call your sin by dignified names. Call it like it is. Sin. He knew that it was sin against heaven and chiefly against God. He was humble. How do we know he was humble? He reduced himself to a hired servant. What humility there. He was raised a son, but he knew that in repenting, he had to humble himself and not come on the basis of merit, but on the basis of mercy. Lost person, you've got to have that attitude to be saved. Not, oh, I deserve to go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. But I am throwing myself at the mercy of a holy God. He took faith in the goodness of his father. Don't put your faith in some weird religion or some weird Eastern philosophy. Put your faith in the living God. Now, notice in verse 18, he says, I will arise. He knew going back to the father would be an improvement. He'd go from the pig pen to the palace. The world will just leave you in the pig pen. They'll leave you there starving. I'm glad he thought. And then last, I want you to see the deliverance of the prodigal. This is the good news. A, a, a lot of what we've talked about this morning has been bad news. And sometimes you've got to hear the bad news before you're ready for the good news. Here's the good news. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I want you to see the compassion of the father to this wayward son because they mirror God's compassion on a wayward child of his or an unsaved sinner. Notice the father was looking. The Bible says in verse 20 that he saw his son yet a great way off. God longs for you to be saved. God wants you. He's pursuing you. Listen to me, backslidden Christian. He's pursuing you. He's looking for you and he wants to see you return. Psalm 86, 5 says, for thou, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. He's not willing that any should perish, lost person, but that all should come to repentance. The father was looking. Number two, the father was running. The father didn't wait for the son to approach the house. He saw the son coming and the father took off and ran to meet the son in verse number 20. Listen, James 4, 8 says, draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. He sees you coming slow and feeble. And he'll meet you right where you are and save you just that way. Don't say, I've got to clean up my life first, unsaved person. Come just like you are. The father ran to him. Notice the Bible also says that the father embraced him. Look at verse number 20. 
And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. He embraced him. When the prodigal and the father met, he fell on his neck. The prodigal was, wasn't very attractive at this point, if you remember. The prodigal smelled like pigs. The prodigal was scrawny, emaciated, starving. He, he was like an unclean animal. Our sin makes us like a pig. <laughs> it makes us stink spiritually. It makes us fit for the pen. But even though your sin has made you a mess, God will embrace you. Jesus said in John 6:37, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. It doesn't matter how great a sinner you are. You may have the unholy stench of the pig on you. But if you will repent and go to God, he will forgive you and cleanse you with his blood. Notice the father kissed him in verse number 20. At the end of verse 20, it says, and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, the meaning of the kiss was twofold. Number one, affection. The prodigal was being told by his father, I love you. Man, when I kiss my wife, you know what I'm saying? I love you. But he was also kissed for acquittal. The prodigal was being informed by the father that he was forgiven. Oh, sometimes my wife and I, we squabble a little bit on how to decorate the house. And, and, and you know what? Somebody will come and give the other a kiss. What are they saying? What are we saying? I forgive you. He kissed the son. God will forgive you of every stain. The father gave him gifts. He gave him a robe. That was a symbol of purity. What do you think the prodigal would have looked like coming back home to the father in his rags? But he was given a robe of righteousness. God will give you the best. If you get saved and apply the Bible as the testimony was given, God will give you the best. I wouldn't trade my family, my ministry, my godly friends for the pig pen. I don't want to trade it in. I want God's best. Do you? Do you? He gave him a, a ring. This was a symbol of authority. Rings were often used to make authoritative marks and, and, and sealing wax. And the prodigal was not going to be a slave anymore. He was going to be a son. Also, wearing a ring meant you had money. Now, somebody's got a big, expensive, flashy ring. What do you think? Man, they must have some money. Sin will make you poor. God will make you rich in the things that count. True riches. And the world can't do that. He was given shoes. That was a symbol of sonship. In verse number 22, look what the Bible says. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. These would have been sandals, of course, but they accomplished the same purpose. Slaves didn't wear shoes. Sons wore shoes. The world left him foot sore and bleeding, but he was no longer going to be a slave of the far country. He was going to be a son. You know why this church exists? You know why this church, it's not a social club. It's not a dating parlor. You know why this church exists? Because we want to take people who are citizens of the far country and bring them to the Father. 
If you come to Christ, nobody's going to look at you weird. They're going to rejoice like we see them doing in this parable. Look at verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. When the lost son came home, there was joy. Look with me at verse 24 as I close. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder brother was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He was dead, the son was. And now he's alive. Listen, lost person, salvation is going from death unto life. He was lost and is found. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Only Christ can save. Take him now. Christian, are you feeling kind of prodigal? Get back to your father. Get back to your father. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With heads bowed and eyes closed as the musicians make their way for the invitation. Is there anybody that would say, Pastor Lewis, is, as you preach, God spoke to me about being that prodigal who's not saved. And I need to come to God. I need to repent. I'm in the far country and I want out. I need to be saved. If God spoke to your heart and if that's you, would you slip your hand up and I'll remember you in prayer as we close. I see that hand. Any others? You can put it down. Any others? God, I see those hands. Put them down. Any others? Father, you've seen those that have been worked on by your Holy Spirit and Lord, while I didn't ask for a raise of hands from Christians, Lord, I can't help but believe there might be some prodigals here that are saved but aren't right with you. And Lord, thank you that you came to seek and save. Thank you that you ran to that, that son and you show us that you'll run to us if we'll dry not nigh to you. Lord, please bless the invitation and that you would just use your word to allow good decisions to be made. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's.